Good morning, Three Rivers Church. Man, what a great day in the life of our fellowship. Thirteen and a half years ago when we planted Three Rivers Church, we planted Three Rivers Church with the DNA that God is a missionary God. That He did not give the church a mission. Rather, He is a God who has a mission and He gave that mission to the church. And that's key. Part of the reason you see this outward movement, the reason we have two campuses, the reason that we want to plant churches is because there is built into the nature and character of God this global glorious purpose that He would be glorified among all peoples. And so what we wanted to do as we came together this morning for worshiping together, one church, two campuses, is take this opportunity to drive that DNA deep, deep into the life of our fellowship. Uh, if you're from the other campus and, and you haven't been to the Unity Campus and you weren't launched out of here, my name is Mitch Jolly. I'm the teaching pastor here at the Unity Campus. And it's a pleasure to have all of us together today. And what an awesome, amazing day this is. And it's cool. And by God's grace, by God's grace, in the years to come, there'll be more campuses and there will be more church plants. And wouldn't it be awesome if one day we have to gather for our joint gathering at the forum? So that we all have to be together in one place because we continue the outward movement of the gospel. And so what you're going to see this morning is not typical. I don't do PowerPoints for Sunday morning, A, because they make me nervous. And I don't like technology, particularly when it's not in my hands. So they're going to be advancing slides as I walk through slides. And if you've been through the perspectives course... Uh, you will recognize this as talk two and, and uh, perspectives on the world Christian movement. Phenomenal course. If you get a chance to take it, you can take it for enrichment. You can take it for uh, bachelor's credit and you can take it for master's credit. And it's a phenomenal course. If you get a chance to take it, take the course, perspectives.org. And by God's grace, we'll run that back here in town again. But this talk helps us to see, and this is a, I teach this lesson a lot in more places than here. And you're going to see slides. We're not going to do this every Sunday morning, so don't get your hopes up, Unity Campus. But this talk is here to help us drive the DNA of a missionary God deeper. And so we start by asking this very simple question. What is our purpose? What is our purpose? The reality is purposes drive our actions. Make sense? If we have a purpose, that purpose should drive our actions. Well, the reality is we've all been given a purpose in Christ. If you're in Christ, God created you and made you and set you apart for a divine and holy and large purpose. So I want to ask you this question. Based on this idea of purpose, we even say it in our statement, for the glory of God, we will disciple the... Nations by being and producing radical followers of Jesus Christ. Disciple the nations. Why do we say that? Well, let me ask this question. Is the Great Commission a ministry of the church? Or is the entire mission of the church, the Great Commission, submitted to the glory of God in Christ Jesus? You see, that's a very important question. Because if the Great Commission is simply a ministry of the church, then we can do other things and do them in separate ways and have no real global feel to them. It's just a ministry. It's kind of like children's ministry. There's, there's missions ministry and there's adult ministry and there's small group ministry. Or is the Great Commission the entire purpose of the church submitted to the glory of God in Christ Jesus? Well, I'm going to say to you that I believe it's the second 
And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take a journey through Genesis. Yes, Genesis. And we're going to discover this global purpose of God. So let me ask you this question that you'll see right up here. What is the difference between these two statements? Number one, a biblical basis of missions or missions as the basis of the Bible. You see, the difference between those is this. One of them says you've got to go look for a reason to think about the nations. The other one says that the nations is the plan. And therefore, everything must be submitted to it. We believe it's number two. Because if that's the case, we're going to work this all into a nice little slide on all the implications. So we're getting there. But what we have to see as a fellowship, one church, two campuses, is we all have to have this DNA driven deeply into the very core of our being. We believe it's number two, that the very basis of the nature and character of God is He intends to be glorified among all nations. We have a twofold problem. We have a problem. Because I don't know if you've noticed or not, but the kingdom of God has not birthed in the life of the church in many places. And the reason is because we have a problem. It's a twofold problem. Number one, we discovered the result of this first one in Genesis 3 that is in God's eternal kingdom, there was a satanic counter kingdom that arose. Because what we find is the evil one hanging out of the tree talking to our mom, our first mother. And he's having a conversation about who's in charge. Our first father is standing there doing something other than leading. And his wife is being wooed by this satanic counter kingdom that's challenging the rule of King Jesus. We see as a result of that also that in God's earthly kingdom, a human rebellion emerged. And this is a problem. Because what we find is that all of humanity finds itself at odds with the one true God. But the rebellion continues. That's not the end of the story in Genesis chapter 3. If you roll on through the book of Genesis, you'll come across this interesting passage in Genesis chapter 11. Where this place called Babel is located. Now what's interesting here, and, and you kind of got to pop back to Genesis 1, and you notice that Genesis 1, 26 to 28 is before Genesis 3. And you say, wow, you're smart because you know how to count. That's awesome. Genesis 1 came before Genesis 3, yes. But it's not just numbers. It's what God says in Genesis 1, 26 to 28. And that is before the fall, before there was a rebellion, God's purpose for our parents was that they would multiply, fill the earth, fill the earth, and subdue it. Eden was never supposed to be home. Eden was the launching point for subduing and filling the whole earth. One of the reasons we find that God places angels at the entrance to this amazing location is because of the tendency of Genesis 3 to go back to safety, go back to the garden, hang out where there's lots of fruit and resources and all kinds of cover and protection because subduing the nations is hard work. And so what does He do? As a result of the rebellion, God does not allow them back to that place and He sends them out to go and fill the earth and subdue it. But we come to Genesis 11... Four, and we find that that 
staying put, that desire to not launch out, that desire to hole up, has come full circle. And we see in Genesis 11, 4, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. If you read Babel and think that God's problem with them was they were building tall buildings, you've missed the point. The problem isn't building tall buildings. When they talk about towers reaching up into the heavens, that we read that and we have a really funky idea of heaven. We think, oh, they're trying to build buildings that reach up to God. No, 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 no. No. This little Hebrew concept of heaven is like up in the sky. Like when Paul talks about the third heaven, he's talking about in, in another realm. Second, first heaven's like really far up in the sky. They're just trying to build tall buildings. The problem's not the tall buildings. The problem is this next statement. And let us make a name for ourselves, comma, why? Why do we want to make a name for ourselves? Lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. Now remember Genesis 1, 26 to 28. What's the mission? Fill the earth and subdue it. Let's hang out on the plain. Make a name for ourselves. Because after all, we are what matter most, right? Is that rebellion against God's purpose for them? Yes. It's rebellion. They don't want to obey the Lord. They don't want to be dispersed. We want to have nice, neat Garden of Eden ministries to make us comfortable. No, 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 no. No, no. God's not down. So what happens? Some interesting things begin to take place. Before Babel, this nice little green circle you're going to see up on your screen here, all of humanity was one together people. Everybody speaking the same language, sharing a culture. But what we see as a result of Babel is the enemy's strategy to divide and conquer and putting up barriers of language and culture. Because what we see as a result of the rebellion to fill the earth and subdue it and make a name for ourselves, God says, no, I will not allow you to stay. Did God allow Adam and Eve to stay in Eden? You think he's going to allow them to stay on the plain and build tall buildings and make a name for themselves? No. What does he do? He confuses their language and he sets them out to go and do what? Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Fill the earth and subdue it. But as a result of that, now we have this divide and conquer strategy that the evil one is going to play against us in language and culture. I always tell students when I was a teacher uh, here at Unity... Never, ever, 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 ever skip over the importance of learning your language. Senor Lanier's class is vital. Senor Brown's class is vital. You need to know your Spanish. Why? Because it's part of the strategy of reaching the nations. Part of overcoming the curse of the fall is being able to communicate in the language of the people you are seeking to reach. And so, it's hard though, right? It's hard to parse verbs and case nouns, right? It's hard to speak with a different dialect and a different language and using all the nuances of language. It's difficult. And even more difficult is the cultural barriers now because now that folks are separated and divided, right, they develop their own set of customs, their own set of beliefs, and their own set of strategies for doing things. And that creates cultural barriers. That's a big problem. So what do you think the solution is? Well, let's look at the Abraham connection. What in the world, what in the world does Abraham have to do with the Great Commission? Remember, we started by saying God is a missionary God. If we take, if we take 
our cues to disciple the nations only from the New Testament, we fail. Because what we've done is we've made the Great Commission something just unique to the New Testament. And what I want us to see this morning is when Jesus says, go disciple the nations, he's not making this up on the fly because he happened to raise up from the grave and thought, oh, this worked out well, let's go global. This is the plan. This is the mission. And Jesus, who spoke to Abraham, is the one who is now saying in the New Testament, the plan from the beginning is still the plan, boys. Go get them. So we're going to start with Abraham. What in the world does Abraham have to do with the Great Commission? Well, if you've got a Bible, and the Scriptures are going to be here, but you also might want to look at it too, mark it in your Bible, because it's very important. Galatians 3.8. Galatians 3.8. What's fun about Galatians 3.8 here is that Paul, who is the author of Galatians, is writing commentary... On Genesis 12, 1-3. This isn't an Old Testament survey. But if it were, I would tell you that the basis of the New Testament is the Old Testament. And so when you read the New Testament and authors under the inspiration of the Spirit are continually quoting the Old Testament and then commenting on it. It's indicating to you that this that they're writing in the New Testament is based upon what God's already told them in the Old Testament. Make sense? Paul is commenting on Genesis 12, 1 to 3. And I want you to read this slowly. I'm going to read it slowly. I want you to feel the weight, the glorious weight of what Paul says here. And the Scripture. So how does Paul view the Old Testament? Scripture. Meaning, our Bibles should not be wore out from Matthew on and the pages still be stuck together from Genesis to Malachi. Right? And the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Whoa. So God God was looking ahead. He intended that the Gentiles would believe by faith. Absolutely. Notice this next line. Preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Whoa. Who's the first preacher of the gospel? God. Who preached the gospel? And who preached it to who? God preached the gospel beforehand to who? Say it. Abraham. God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. So wait a second. You mean the gospel predates Jesus coming and taking on flesh? Yeah. Because it's God's message. It's not our message. It's God's message. It's God's plan. And God Himself preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, comma, saying, whoa, He's about to unpack something about the gospel here. Whoa, wait a second. Let's, you want to hear that? You want to hear what He says? Yeah, I'm totally intrigued. What does gospel say? What does gospel mean? What does gospel have at its core, at its essence? Listen to what God says to Abraham. In you shall all the nations be blessed. And there's all kinds of things we could say here. And this is a separate class. So if you want to hear some of this stuff, you can come to TRCU, which starts Wednesday night at 6.30. Poston will be leading that. I'll be teaching and training church planners. And the youth will be right here. So mamas and dads, if you want your students to come and do and learn about the nations and learn about the glory of God and all that good stuff, they'll meet here. You can go to TRCU down in Poston's room. Where you at, Poston? You here? 
Back there, there's Post and see him Wednesday night, 6.30. You can unpack this a little bit. Gospel, right? So, in you, Abraham, all the nations be blessed? Yeah. Exegetical moment here. Now, we know that's not the full scope of the gospel message. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. But what we have here is at the core of this gospel message is this mentality, this intentionality on the part of God who preached it first that the nations are the target. You hear that? The nations are the target. You got it? It's not just Abraham and his descendants. It's the nations. Why? Because Genesis 1, 26 to 28, what's the target? The whole earth. The whole earth. What's the problem in Genesis 11? We don't want to go to the whole earth. We want to rebel. We want to stay here where it's comfortable. Build tall buildings. Get them air conditioned. Right? Get it comfortable. Build nice little community type things and just have stuff for us. And God says no. So He confuses their language. Spreads them across the face of the earth. And then Genesis 12, which is right on the heels of Genesis 11. God says now, Abraham, that they're scattered and doing what I told them to do. You are going to be the one who takes this good news to them. Genesis 12. 1 to 3. And so Paul commenting on Genesis 12, 1 to 3, saying God preached this gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying you, Abraham, through you, all the nations are going to have to be blessed. So the story starts with Abraham's calling. Inside Genesis 12, 1 to 3 is a command, a blessing, and the purpose. The command for Abram, which will later be named Abraham, is that he's to do what? Go. Go. Implicit. In the Great Commission is an outward movement. It's built into the core nature of God and who He is. Outward movement. How do we know this? What is one thing we can point to that shows us God is constantly about moving outward? Jesus. Because in the fullness of time, the eternal Son of God takes on flesh and He comes. He leaves where He was and He comes and takes on flesh and dwells among those who do not know. And He shows them His glory and He dies in their place for their sin and rises for their salvation. That's God's activity. And therefore, the command to Abram will be no different, right? No different. If God's activity is to come to us and we are followers of Him, what do you think our activity should be? Go! Right? Because that's what God does. Go from your country and your kindred, your father's house to the land I will show you. And what's the promise? I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Why does God bless the kingdom? So we can have more stuff, get bigger stuff, more expensive stuff. And make it prettier and neater and nicer and shinier? No. God blesses us so that we will be a blessing to those who do not know what we know. So God doesn't give the church resources so we can make cooler stuff. And be more comfortable and have nicer children's ministries and youth ministries. And more stuff for people to consume. The church, the kingdom is not Walmart. The church, the kingdom, is not a place for you to come and get nice, comfortable stuff. It's the people of God mobilized to obey the command to disciple the nations. What's the purpose? Well, it's the end of Genesis 12, 1 to 3. So that in you, you, that is Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
Go, I will provide everything you need since you bless the families of the earth with this gospel. John Stott, who's one of the great dead old guys that I like to read. If you haven't read Stott, go Google some John R.W. Stott and enjoy. Buy a book, read it. Genesis 12, 1 to 3 are perhaps the most unifying verses in the Bible. The whole of God's purpose is encapsulated here. Amen. The whole of God's purpose is found there, which is why Paul is commenting on it in Galatians. So why is Abraham so key? Why do you think Abraham's so important here? Well, Abraham's important because it is a beginning and not a closing of God's universal purpose. In other words, God's purpose does not abort on Israel. God's purpose isn't encapsulated in Israel. This is a beginning. It's not a narrowing of God's intentions. It is an initiation of a strategic plan. God intends to take Abraham and all of his descendants and use them as instruments of this glorious good news. A chosen people, I will bless you. God will pour in His resources. This little arrow coming down into the little box there at the beginning is God blessing and giving resources to His people so that we will bless all the peoples. So that from that provision, we will then take it and use it for the glory of God. One of the reasons many people in the Western world, particularly Christians, find themselves in such financial distress is they don't understand why God gave them what He gave them in the first place. He did not give it to them to have. He gave it to them to manage and steward. And as stewards of God's resources, I will bless you so that you will bless the nations. And the world system throws all kinds of curveballs at us that sound good and sound pretty and they're noble, but they're not kingdom. Noble does not equal kingdom. Good does not equal kingdom. Kingdom equals kingdom. God gives to His people so that they will then in turn bless the nations. What's God's promise? Genesis 22, 16 to 18. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you've done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will what? Multiply your offspring. This is important. Multiply your offspring. Because we're going to see in just a moment, he's not just talking about Israel. If you think you're going to get off the hook, because he's talking about Israel. He's talking about Abraham. I'm not descended from Abraham. I know my line. <laughs> Not Abraham. Good. Don't get off the hook so quickly. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. This, the italics are mine. Purpose? Why? Why am I going to give you? I'm going to bless you with all that. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Why is God going to bless Abraham? Why is he going to give him the gates of his enemies? So that he will then go and bless the nations. So why is Abraham so key? Abraham and his descendants are the means to God's end of rescuing the scattered nations from Babel. You hear it? Abraham 
and his descendants are the means to God's end of rescuing the scattered nations from Babel and from the rebellion of Genesis 3 and their slavery to the kingdom of darkness. So Abraham's descendants are the means. They are the means of rescuing the scattered peoples. Very important. Let's jump over to the New Testament. What do you think? We've seen, I think it's pretty clear just in Genesis. I mean, we hadn't really looked outside of Genesis that God's purpose and His end is the nations, right? And He's going to do it through Abraham and his descendants. How does Paul understand this? Well, Romans 1, 5. Through whom, speaking of Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship. Why? To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name, where? Among all the nations. So Paul understands Jesus has come and died in order that we might receive grace and that also through His apostolic ministry to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of Jesus among all the nations. What's Paul's end? The nations. He'll even tell us it in the book of Romans. I'm coming to you so that that can be my base to get to Spain. Why? Because God cares about the nations. Acts 13, 47. For so the Lord commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles. That's everybody, not Jew. That you may bring where? Salvation to where? The ends of the earth. That's Paul's understanding of what his purpose was. Isaiah 49, 6. You think... Paul's mission should be our mission too? Maybe. So let me ask you this question. What if... Paul's just a guy, right? Paul's just a guy. Maybe we set our sights a little higher. Maybe Paul's mission is God's mission. Let's take a look. What do you think the job description of the Messiah is? Now, who's the Messiah? Jesus, what do you think his job description is? Because, I mean, if Paul doesn't take his purpose from God's purpose, then Paul's probably wrong, right? But what if Paul's purpose is God's purpose? Then maybe we should imitate Paul, right? Let's take a look and see if Paul's on target here. What is the job description of the Messiah? This is awesome. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. That's too easy. To just bring the tribes, to bring Israel. That's too light. That's, that's just the bar. That's weightlifting. That's just working out with the bar. And it's not even a man's bar, it's the girl's bar. It's too light of a thing. The lady's going, that's not nice. Stop it. And if you're a man still lifting with a girl bar, come see me after we're moving. It's too light that you should just raise up the tribes of Jacob. Too little. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. What's the job description of the Messiah? All nations. So Paul's not off when he says to the church at Rome, Jesus died so that we might be a light to the nations. So Paul's mission seems to be on target. Perhaps it should be our mission. Take a look here. 
Just three more repetitions. And by the way, this is just, I'm giving you a sample. Just a sample. Just a sample. Repetitions of this glorious purpose clause here from the Psalms, Acts, and Galatians. We've already seen Galatians 3.8. We won't read it again. Psalm 72.17. May his name endure forever. The fame or his fame continue as long as the sun. What a great prayer. May your fame continue as long as the sun shines. It's pretty awesome. May people be blessed in him, comma, all, what? Nations call him blessed. Acts 3.25, you are sons of the prophets in the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Here we go. Here's the, here, here's the hook. Remember I said a little bit earlier, maybe you're thinking, oh, I'm not descendant from Abraham. I'm, I'm, I don't have to worry about that. Hook. Bible's got the hook in your mouth now. Here we go. In Christ, we are descendants of Abraham through faith. Galatians 3.29. This is it. And if you are Christ's, then you are what? Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. If you believe the gospel, you are a descendant of Abraham. Because the line of the kingdom is not genetic... It is circumcision of the heart, the Bible talks about. It's not circumcision of the foreskin, which was Israel's problem, thinking it is just those who are physically descended. Jesus will even say at the inauguration of the ministry, don't think that, that you've got anything by saying you're descendant from Abraham. God can raise up from these rocks descendants from Abraham. It's not physical descent. It is because the heart has been repaired by the powerful gospel. And because they are of the faith of Abraham, they are Abraham's offspring. Remember the promise to make Abraham as plentiful as the stars of heaven? That doesn't happen by physical descent. That happens through faith in Christ. So that that physical descent is set aside. And it's the spiritual descent of those who have faith in Jesus. If we, that is the church of Jesus Christ, are Abraham's descendants then the charge to Abraham to bless the nations is whose charge? It's ours. It's ours. You feel that? You feel the purpose? It's rich. It's thick. It's deep. The church has not been given a mission. The mission has been given a church. God is a missionary God. His purpose is the glory of God. His own glory among all nations. And if that's God's purpose, and He gave that to Abraham, and we are descendants of Abraham, then it must be our purpose. Salvation is linked to God's promise to bless the families and nations of the earth. Listen, so this is Galatians 3.14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, comma, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Salvation does not happen unless the church obeys the command to preach the gospel to the nations. Does that make sense? 
Everybody in this room, let me, I'm going to just ask for a show of hands, okay? And don't get all like, ooh, let me trap the teacher smart here, okay? We're all descended from Adam, so technically, yes, I'm Jewish. Don't do that. How many of you in here know genetically if you're descended from Abraham? Raise your hand. Wow. So you mean you're all Gentiles? You're all Gentiles. I'm assuming, maybe a bad assumption, that as a Gentile, you're here for one of two reasons. You either were intrigued by the gospel and you showed up this morning and hoped to hear hope that God would rescue you. Or you came because you were already regenerate. You believed the gospel and in following Jesus. If you are obeying the gospel and have followed Jesus, you are here and saved because somebody believed that God's purpose was to preach the gospel to your people. Your salvation is linked to the promise to bless the families of the earth with the gospel. Somebody read that and said, we have to do something with that. I was sitting in Kabul three years ago, having dinner. Some of you have heard this story, some of you haven't. With a Moravian in Kabul. Two Gentiles. My descent, it doesn't look it. But my family, the Scott-Irish Cherokee, Chief John Jolly, Principal Chief, Cherokee Nation. And a few years ago, we were going camping up at Fort Mountain. And we passed through Chatsworth. And on the right is this glorious little brown state of Georgia marker that says Moravian Mission Cemetery. You ever seen it? You ever gone to Chatsworth and noticed that sign? If you have, next time stop. Because it's a... It's a holy location. Because Anaclyst Gambold was a Moravian from Europe who came and believed that the promise to bless the nations was hers. And she was the first successful mission effort among the Cherokee. And at that little mission house there, the Cherokee nation was reached. And I sat at that table with a descendant who came and told my people of the glory of Jesus. And I was there because of Him. My salvation is linked to their obedience to the Gospel. Three Rivers Church, that story needs to be told of us. That my people are in because of you. And my salvation is linked to your obedience to the command to bless the nations of the earth. You see... We don't have to find a biblical basis for the Great Commission. Remember we asked that question? What's the difference between a biblical basis or the Great Commission is the basis of the Bible? We don't have to find a biblical basis for the Great Commission. The Great Commission is the basis for the Bible. You have a Bible because God is a missionary God who intends you to know His purpose, His heartbeat, and obey Him. Look at Jesus' summary of the whole Old Testament. Luke 24, 44 to 47. Jesus summarizes the whole Old Testament and the basis of the Great Commission in two statements. Now Luke 24 is Jesus' post-resurrection appearance 
to a couple of disciples. And those disciples run back and tell the whole crew. And Jesus shows up in their midst and he instructs them. And then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. I don't have time to preach on that. That's a basis of another worldview class I teach. Everything written about Jesus in the law, the prophets and the Psalms. You mean the law preaches Jesus? Yes. You mean the prophets preach Jesus? Yes. You mean the Psalms preach Jesus? Yes. Jesus said, these are my words. I told you everything written about me had to be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now, I'm thinking, as a former educator, right? And 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 a master's degree in theology, biblical languages. I'm thinking, Jesus has the power as God to open their minds. Like, he, he took away the fog. You ever had that moment where you just learned? I love that moment as a teacher when, it, when they learned... Because 90% of your time are spent, is spent just repeating, repeating, repeating and hoping they get it. And that moment when they learn, the whole angels are singing, the heavens open, and the, the purpose of an educator has been achieved because they learn. Jesus has the power to not have to spend 90% of the time making them see. He opened their minds. I wish I had that power as a teacher. Before class, go, like Jedi night them. And it's like, oh, mind's open, ready, right? Jesus opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And I'm thinking, all this education background thing, and Jesus got to say something deep and profound and long. It's like at least a minimum 30-page paper with footnotes, Chicago Manual style, put together, right, in the, in the theme, the discipline, right? Jesus is going to download some serious stuff. But He said two things. Thus it is written. He opened their minds to get this. And then he poured it in. Thus it is written. Number one. That the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Remember, he's opening their minds to understand the Old Testament. This is the lens by which you should read everything in the Old Testament. You ready? I'm, just, I'm giving you a lesson on how to read your Old Testament right here. Here's how you interpret it. Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Number one. Number two. And that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in His name. Where? <laughs> to all nations. Jesus opened their minds to understand, told them two things. That Christ has to come, suffer, die, and rise. Second, repentance and forgiveness of sins need to be proclaimed in His name to all nations. Jesus told them the two Interpretive frameworks through which they need to read everything in the Old Testament. Jesus come dying and rising. The eternal Son of God, Jesus, come to die in our place for our sin and send us on the mission of discipling the nations. Jesus said, that's how you read my Bible, right there. That's it. That's Jesus' purpose. That's His summary of the whole Old Testament and the basis of the Great Commission. Sometimes on this side of the kingdom fully come, it's very easy to look at the world and be distressed and disturbed and wonder about whether or not it will happen when you get into the country and the coup takes place and you don't get to finish the task or the place that you've been working in for 13, 14 years is constantly cut off and you wonder... What do we do? Where do we go? 
and even places we considered safety for field personnel to come and get counsel and help is now open to terrorism? Will it happen? Jesus gives John a vision of the end in Revelation 7-9 to encourage his soul. Because remember, John's under some pretty severe distress. Tempted to kill him. He survived. He's on exile on this island. And Jesus speaks to him and reveals himself in all of his glory for his eyes to see. And he shows him the things that are, the things that were, are, and are to come. And this is one of those things that are to come or is to come. I'm sorry, bad subject verb agreement. Things is to come. And he shows him, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. Where? Where are they from? From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. John, lest you think it won't happen, let me show you the end. I have achieved it. Finished it. As of Friday, globally, statistically, there are 16,517 people groups spread across this planet. So, what is a people group? A people group is an ethno linguistically unique group of people. Na- nations, the way we sometimes hear nations, right? We think even Olympics, Josh was telling us, talking about the Olympics, and we see all these various nations. Those are geopolitical boundaries drawn by the victor of warfare. Nations, biblically, are back to Babel, those unique language speakers who have a different culture from us. There are, I think, 77 people groups in our country alone who speak different languages and have different culture. There are 16,517 ethnically unique and linguistically different people groups on the face of the planet. Of that, 6,688 have no gospel witness at all among them. That's 42.3% of the earth's population has no gospel witness. You want to see those stats? Joshuaproject.net The world mapping project. Listen, Three Rivers Church. It's not because of a lack of power in the gospel. And it's not because of a lack of resources. It is because of a lack of obedience. We talk about fostering adoptive care. That if every church in Floyd County would just mobilize one or two families and support them to take the kids that are in our county, we would eradicate the foster care problem. The problem isn't a lack of families. The problem is a lack of obedience. James 1.27, you don't even have to pray about it. It's written. The 42.3% of the earth that has no gospel witness isn't an issue of prayer. It's an issue of obedience. If every, if every church in America just picked one and made it their mission to engage and preach and transform, bring the kingdom, 
Matthew 24, 14 would take place. And this gospel will be preached in my name to all the nations, and then the end will come. The end, listen, I don't care who gets elected president. I don't care what blows up this afternoon. The end is not coming until that 6,688th people group has a gospel witness among it. And guess what? It ain't going to be tomorrow. Amen. Hate, hate to be Mr. Prophetic Prognosticator. I mean, it could. Could. I mean, the God... Bluetooth gospel, Jesus project, something, go and spread virally in the next 24 hours to all those peoples and people believe from all those people groups could. Probably not. Meaning, meaning, there's work to be done. But done it will get. Jesus gave us a vision of the end. But it's going to come through churches obeying Jesus. Often people will ask, why do you guys care so much about that country? Why do you guys care so much about... Why are you... Still, 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 I, I heard it this week. And I've just gotten to where I laugh now. When are you going to be a real church? And I still get that dumb question. Because what they mean is, we're not a real church till we're in debt to our eyeballs with our own building. Then you're real. That's legit. You have arrived. Can't afford to do any nation preaching. Ain't got no margin in the budget for the Great Commission, but by God, you got a building. 27 staff members paid full time. You have arrived. No. You haven't arrived. You're disobedient. There's nothing wrong with having... Do not hear... Sin to have a building. If God gave us a building, He gave us a building in South Rome, but it's not for having a meeting in. It's for doing the work, fostering adoptive care. Right? And I'm convinced that's why God blesses our fellowship is because we don't take His resources and spend them on us. We turn them around to bless our city and to bless the nations. And I'm convinced that's why God continues to give us more. So there's nothing wrong with having those things as long as they don't take up every bit of resource because the resources are there. Why did God tell Abraham, I'm going to bless you? Why am I going to give you all this, Abraham, so that you will then turn, bless the nations? Final slide, some implications. Three Rivers Church, our DNA has it, KDSC has this as the, the very epicenter this gospel of the kingdom that makes disciples in all domains of society. And from that, the church multiplies. It has this gospel global. This is our DNA. This is who we are. And I just want to say this. If you are not into the global work of Jesus being big, you're not in the right place. Because that's Jesus' mission. And Jesus' mission, doggone better be our mission. Or we have no right to ask Jesus to bless our work. So, so much of Christian subculture in the West goes and does its own thing and then invites God to bless it. As opposed to doing God's things and expecting God to bless it because they're on God's train. Make sense? The goal isn't to go create some fancy vision that's not in the vision of God. The goal is to obey what Jesus has given us. New churches don't need fancy, newfangled statements of purpose. Disciple the nations. Jesus gave that to us.
So just adopt that as yours and go. Right? If the Great Commission is the mission, then there are some implications. This, this first one is big. All ministry has to be practically submitted to discipling the nations. Make sense? That's the whole purpose of having like the, the purpose set out is so that everything can fall in line with it. All ministry has to be practically submitted to discipling the nations. Which means we have to be... This is F. Really is a sub-point. Anyway, anyway, all these are sub-points, but they're all connected. I'm going to say that in just a second. So all ministry practically submitted to discipling the nations. Our radical life groups helping us disciple people to think globally. It's radical kids... Helping us to think about discipling students to think globally. Is student ministry discipling kids to think globally? Are we gathered together and is preaching from the Bible so that people are discipled to think globally? Number two, the Great Commission is not a line item in the budget, but the entire thrust of the budget. Everything in there intended to be working in some fashion out. Number three, the Great Commission has to influence how we do ministry. We teach the Bible and how to study it. I'm convinced that if you study your Bible, Jesus will take care of mobilizing for the harvest. Jesus had asked the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. Ask Him. He will mobilize. I'm convinced if you read your Bible, He will speak to you and tell you what you're supposed to do. Your job's to obey Him. Pretty simple. Teach the Bible and how to study it. Expose everybody to the world. One of the challenges in front of us is with the people we've been working with now forever. It's hard to get all of us mobilized into that work. Some are senders, some are goers. But we can't even go. So what do we do globally? That's a good question. How do we engage globally? It's a great question in front of us. Because everybody in this room somehow or another needs to be exposed globally. Out through opportunities to send... And opportunities to hear and opportunities to engage. Because it's the mission. And none of us get to escape the Great Commission. The Great Commission is given to the church. If you're in Christ, you're a member of the church. If you're a member of the church, then guess what? The Great Commission belongs to you. And we have to make sense of that somehow. We've got to teach theology. And the very nature and character of God is this thrust to the nation. So when you teach good theology, it must always contain missiology. And missiology submitted to theology leads to good practice. We've got to ditch safety as a value. Safety is not a value of God's kingdom. It's just not. We've got to ditch it. We begin engaging the nations around you and learn to relate to other religions. Talking this morning with Blake and Hope, High Point, North Carolina. We sent them out to engage. They business, the domain of business. And this cat's meeting Pakistanis left and right. How do you engage those Pakistanis? I don't know. He's doing it, trying to. The nations are at our doorstep. Begin engaging the nations around you. Learn to relate to them. Ask them questions. If you're at the convenience store, get to know their name. Ask them questions. Expose them to Jesus. Invite them to come here with you on some Sunday morning. That will be a wild ride. Nothing wrong with that. Find a place in the 1040 window where we get our students engaged. We were attempting that. And we sparked a coup. So what do we do now? I don't know. Find a place where our students can begin to get engaged and taste the world 
and discover that domains of society are global and God may send them to engage their domain on a global scale. And then parents, here's one for you. Disciple parents to disciple their kids who will lead in global disciple making. Listen, parents, one of the things we want you to do is if you come and bring your kid to Radical Kids, don't check out and go home. Hang out at TRCU and learn some things about the world. Learn some things about the kingdom so that you can go home and reinforce that and teach that. Student ministry is not babysitting. Student ministry is an opportunity to engage, equip, and send. It's an opportunity for you parents to engage in equipping and sending. Guys, God is a missionary God. The gospel is global. And as a church, this is what drives us. This is why we are where we are. It's so that we can do more with what God has blessed us with. This is who we are. And what a glorious thing that is. Isn't that fun? That's the heartbeat of God. And you know what's fun? Is right now, this year, we'll begin training five new guys. Pastors, church planters. Some of them are going to fill in ministry on various campuses. Some of them God has set apart as church planters. Maybe campus planters. Five new ones. And you know what? Next year, if God puts it in your heart, men, to be a leader of this glorious work of the gospel, then see me and we'll begin to train you next year. My hunch is that's God's way of multiplying disciples in our fellowship so that we can bless the nations and bless the communities and the cities around us with the gospel. Isn't that fun? That's good stuff. Pray with me, then we're going to worship together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your powerful, powerful gospel that is salvation to everyone who believes. Thank you that this gospel is global. This gospel is powerful. This gospel is for all nations. Thank you for what you have begun in this fellowship. We pray that you, Lord Jesus, Lord of the harvest, would call forth laborers. That you would put it in the heart of some present today. To be obedient to what you've already said to them. Lord of the harvest, I pray that you will mobilize your people locally to engage right where we are. To make disciples right here at the store. Wherever we engage. Lord, put it in the hearts of your people to be obedient. Lord, I pray that you would draw people, as Pastor Josh has reminded us, that this there's an evangelistic act happening right now. The unity of the body draws people to Jesus. So I pray that you would use this fellowship and our outreach to draw people to you. This little outpost of the kingdom. Lord Jesus, I pray you'd loose our lips to make much of you right now. That there will be the fruit of lips that bless your name. Thank you for Three Rivers Church. Thank you for what you have done in this fellowship. Pray you'd multiply it, grow it, and increase it. Help us to be faithful managers of this resource of the kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name.